0: Another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast, and as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors Harbro for their continued support. Well, this week on Top Lines and Tales, never mind the Yorkshire vet, here is the Yorkshire butcher, Slacky himself, and uh, Slacky, the nation's favourite butcher. I think is is, uh, is that right? Is that, a big, <laughs> is that a big enough intro for you? Yeah,
1: I'll play myself. <laughs> <laughs> no one's contrary to me anyway, so I'm sticking with.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. And, and you run a family butcher shop there in Doncaster and a family business uh, been going on a while, I believe.
1: Yeah, I'm a uh, fifth generation now. Uh, we run uh, the butcher shop. uh used to be probably one of our least little uh, businesses, but since COVID, it's become probably the most profitable we've got. We run a slaughterhouse as well. Right. Uh, we also run a small where We're in 150 breeding sheep. We run a few store cattle, and now we've got a tea rooms next door for my mother.
0: Tea rooms as well, okay. Self-sufficient in every way by the scent of it there. And uh, yourself, you're a you're a master butcher. You've been at this a while, I guess. Did you train and qualify for that, or is this just something that just comes with the territory, being a family farm, family business?
1: I don't think you can train to be a master butcher now, if I'm telling you, because there's a few and far between. I mean, there's a lot of people out there calling themselves master butchers, but for me, a master butcher is somebody that can produce the animal it can go to market, buy what he needs out of market, it can bring it home, he can slaughter it, It can do organise his hanging times when he knows he's ready, when he thinks it's ready for sale, it. and uh, butcher it down to prime cuts at front counter, and then sell them on.
0: And sell them on direct to retail, yeah, you've got the whole, like, both ends of the, j- the chain, and as you said, the small holding there, and the rest of, that you don't put in from your own place there, uh, you, you source locally, I think food miles are quite important to you?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's not just the food miles, it's knowing where... Where your, where your product's coming from that you're selling on, because you're sort of asking people to come back week in, week out. Uh, so people are interested. They're never used to it, but they are now. They've got a bit of a, uh, since COVID, they've all learned to cook at home. They can tell it tastes the difference in quality. And they're not bothered about paying a little bit extra for it, as long as they've got, as long as you're sincere and honest with them. So we try and use ourselves. We've got local farms. We're also running small family business, so I feel... I feel like I'm giving back to them by, provide, by start buying pigs and sheep and cattle for local, local lads. I feel like they're giving back to their family. They're going to local farm store or whatever, buying new tractors. And the money just, just keeps passing through the system, doesn't it? Excellent.
0: It goes round and round. You're right. And and uh, as and, and you said, COVID has made a difference to this industry, but I think that difference is probably coming anyway. I think uh, over the last, or this generation, should I say, a lot of people are starting to take a lot of interest from in where their food came from. And some of that can be down to to the media, but a lot of that's down to, to self-promotion, I think. And, uh, and people like you flying the flag for British produce.
1: Yeah, I think you could be right. Yeah. Uh, like I say, COVID took over. We were, we were getting stronger and stronger as a business. Uh, I, I'd it down to there were less and less good places people could buy meat from. And then when COVID hit, it, it were right. We've got all this time at home now. We can learn how to cook. We can use all these, finally use all these appliances we've bought, randomly stuff we've bought and never used. <laughs> slow cookers and ninjas and everything else that people's purchased over years and never actually used them. So COVID, all of a sudden, at times, they've got more time at home. So they start coming looking for cuts. Yes. You know, things like bris- brisket joints that, you know, once upon a time, with 10 of penny, you stick them in. A, most of the time, they burgers or mince. Now we can't stock them fast enough. They're just, they're sold as joints. They're sold on bone. They're sold with with they're sold fat in. Fat out, trimmed up, anywhere you want a brisket done, we can sell
0: it now and we sell loads of them. Really? That's, that is brilliant because you're right. I mean, the, the thing with the beef industry, and we'll maybe go into that in a bit more detail, the beef industry was all about the prime cuts and the rest of it uh, went into to burgers. <laughs> and as you said, now people are realizing that, not just with the beef but with, with sheep as well. People are eating their kalama and eating you know, shanks and things that they wouldn't have done before. And do they come into you and specifically ask for that? Do they ask particular things or do you just cut it out as you think and then put it out on the counter?
1: Uh, no they do have specific, specific things uh, I think for me I, mean, I, I still see myself as a new generation butcher I'm still a young man I still have 39 year old so I still see myself as a, a young person but I, I don't think it's, it's enough just selling meat now I think you've got to you've got to offer advice to people on how to cook these things and what you know they're, they're saying they've got a smoker and they want a piece of meat to put in the smoker so then you've got to advise the piece of meat that they need that you feel best to to go into that smoker and give them a good dinner. Because if most people are having a barbecue and they've got a smoker going or they're slow roasting a brisket joint, they're not just feeding themselves. They're generally feeding 10, 12 people. So your audience then is 10 to 12 people. It's not just the one person that's bought the meat. Um, well, so you, you look at potential 12 more customers coming to your butcher shop. So you've got to give people the best stuff and you've got to give them the right stuff. I think else. helps.
0: Well, we'll go on to in a minute. Well, the, the reasons that you're on here is your internet presence, which is growing very fast, and how you do um, show people informatively how to do that. But we'll just, just step back a little bit there to the to the beef, uh, Slacky. You, uh, I think I've watched quite a few of your videos. I'm a big fan, and, and uh, uh, you claim to be a Hereford man, although very often you're cutting up Angus. But uh, you obviously prefer the native uh, native breeds, and uh, be careful because I've got a lot of got a lot of continental listeners on this program as well. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, the the Herefords is is the breed that I I like. It's, it's a breed that my granddad used to buy. We always had a fridge full of Herefords mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid growing up. And on fields, we always had Herefords store cattle when we were little. Uh, so it's a breed that I've always had a bit of a a soft spot for. Uh, they do look absolutely fantastic in our dry ageing cabinet as well. Uh, but we do kill a lot of limmies. Okay. limmies are the seem to be the breed that fits the bill most these days there's enough fat on them there's enough meat on them uh, so yeah I do like my aeropers, but but we don't have them every week they are a special occasion when we do get them these days because for us uh, the limies are fitting the bill more and more okay. for what we're requiring
0: Okay, you're probably getting a bigger guy percentage from a as well. And again, I don't get too controversial with our Angus and our other listeners. And Angus now probably the biggest, or taking over, is one of the biggest breeds in the UK again because they have the Angus trademark, if you like. But can you get Angus beef as well? Can you get it from a, for a consistent quality, or is that something that uh, that's hard yeah, to find?
1: Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, so I have a supply, I have a buyer, a uh, lad that lives that I met through Doncaster and Farmers when I were young farmers. who was took over his dad's farm, uh, and he's the market guy. He's in and out of markets continuously, so. I, I tell him to, what to buy to keep his eye out for Angus, Erifords. Uh, so he, he generally buys me the Angus when it, they come up because, again, they, they've got a good covering on them. They're not too fat, they're not too lean. Mm-hmm. But I also have a, 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 part, a, a best pal of mine who lives six, hundred, hundred yards away from our slaughterhouse who's a uh, pedigree Cimentel breeder.
0: Okay, who's that? Uh,
1: he's called Scotland Hill Cimentels. Worth a look on I think it's got a Facebook thing.
0: Yeah, we do. We have a big Facebook page there, Scotland Hill Simmental. Shout out to you there. And we know a few Simmental breeders and a lot of listeners to to this program. Yeah. So you're talking about a buyer. So you're buying, you're sourcing your meat live from from the from a local market. Is it just Doncaster, or do you get further afield?
1: Uh, our Doncaster market shut down there, uh, quite a few years when I was a young man. It, it shut down. Uh, I think to be fair, it's probably caused the biggest problem in Doncaster today. We're losing the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the problems in Doncaster and around Doncaster is because they have got rid of the market, but that's a different story.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we can we can take that one on board anyway, the Doncaster Council, <laughs> if you, Council, if you're listening there, you shouldn't have done that, but there we go. <laughs> yeah.
1: So our local market is Selby. Okay. Well, Selby Livestock Market is where we buy, we top up with them, so we buy pigs, we buy sheep, we buy cattle out of there that we can't get from local farms or they haven't got enough to supply us. Uh, and we just top up from Selby Market, but we do generally try and buy as much from local farmers as we can. Uh, I don't like buying off a hook. Uh, that's, I don't like buying from other wholesalers because I'm not a very trusting person. I don't trust what they're selling to me, uh, being a lad that seems to know what he, what, he, what, he, what I am talking about. But if I'm ordering Angus and they're sending stuff, you can generally tell that it's not Angus, and I don't really like not knowing where what our sort of animals, what, what we're selling through. shop I like to know every single thing every joint that's coming in and out the back door in and out through the shop and I like to know what's going through to, to the customers
0: that's quite interesting, because nowadays with DNA and what have you, there should be no controversy over what breeds these animals are, and there, there are tests and things, especially from the Angus side of it, to make sure that they keep this of certified Angus label uh, in, integrity in place. But let's not go down that road either. Um, no. And, and you, so you bring the animals in. What sort of numbers? I mean, you say you hang, all your animals are hung three weeks, so you hang those yourself in the abattoir. What sort of numbers are we are looking at? Uh, we don't
1: yet. So we'll kill, uh, cattle-wise, we'll kill anything between six and 12 a week. Mm-hmm. Uh we, we can rotate them. I mean, I, I do say three weeks, but the hanging the hanging scheme today is all controversial, isn't it? When I were growing up, when I growing up and I used to hang cattle for four or five months. They only to touch them before they were five months old. But the cattle then were, you know, they were 18, 20 year old. who so were killing. Today's world, they're only, you know, most of the cattle that we killed will be 20 months, 24 months. They're only young. They don't need that length of time to hang in like they used to in old days. And we kill. We, we, we're very thorough, about the way, that we kill. So we don't kill straight off the trailer. We pull into a, a, a lairage. We have a holding shed next door. So if evidence, everything that's going to be killed the next day comes in the night before where we're bedded down on straw and water. We don't give them no food. We just basically just give them fresh straw and plenty of water. And we kill them the next day. And the animals that go in the shed, is a total difference to the animals that come out of the shed the next morning.
0: Yeah, They relax,
1: they're out, they're calm. And it makes a big difference to the, the quality of the meat, the hanging. But you can knock a week off hanging time like just from... Not killing straight up a
0: trailer. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can get that. I mean, I live down in southwest France. We're among blonde Aquitaines down here, and they can be little. Some of those can be a little bit uh, volatile. And uh, the beef down here is always very tough because they don't hang it a, because they're too lean. And b, when they kill them, some of them are a bit mad. So I think we do, we suffer from that. So I hear where you're coming from. Here you come from there. Yeah. And and then you mentioned the dry age. It's just go through that little bit. You dry age. I've seen the videos. You dry age the the beef in chillers. Actually, there in the shop in front of people. Is that fairly? Is that just a fridge or a
1: is it a special unit? Yeah, can I do it? Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a specialist unit. It's a, there's a Himalayan salt block in there, and it runs on humidity, not just a fridge temperature. So, like a normal fridge, you're in, in and out of a normal fridge all day. But those things, you fill them up, and you lock it, and you don't you don't go back to it till four or five weeks till the stuff's ready for coming out. And it creates like its own microclimate in there, and it just breaks the beef down really, really steady, really slowly, and it the feedback was positive, is positive is everybody that has it out the dry agent is, they come back and order more and more and more That's. Uh, but that's, I only put the, I, I'm very particular about what I put in there because you, it lean meat does not go in there very well. And I would say that if you start, if you put shit meat in, don't matter how long you leave it for, it's still shit meat when it comes out
0: that's an interesting concept i know we do i am starting to see dry-aged meat appear here in the supermarkets here in, in france the small butchers are here but they don't really exist but then our supermarkets are a lot different to they are in the uk um not that i'm condemning the, either of them for that matter different practices but the dry-aged meat as you said i've had some come out of here and it's not been fantastic it's been black but it's not been fantastic but then yeah. maybe because it's going in in too lean so you're saying to dry age the, the, the meat we need to it needs to be a bit more cover on it i can get a bit more marbling in it as well maybe
1: yeah, it needs marbling, it needs cover as well, and it needs time. And and I, I see a lot, of, especially supermarkets in the UK. I was on wander out meat Council and they're saying they're dry aging and stuff. Well, I know a slaughterhouse is killing maybe three hundred beasts a day for a, for an abattoir, mm-hmm. uh, for a, for a supermarket. Well, it's a lot, a lot of hanging room to be hanging those beasts for five weeks on a, in a dry agent. So I don't know how they're doing it, and I really don't, I don't trust them to be fair to say that they are dry-aging it properly. <laughs>
0: we're not going to name a shame in this one, I don't think, at the moment. No, we're not naming a shame. <laughs> but I, I do, going to the dry-age, I've noticed with yours, you said specific cuts, I because I've seen it on the video, the specific cuts that you put in the freezer and lock it. But a lot of the dry-age, some of the dry-age I see certainly is dry-aged on a hook, so that's in a different circumstance, is That's not in the machine that you've got there with the Himalayan salt. So so how is that? That's just hung basically in, in a fridge, Is that or is that different? We yeah, do that? I would
1: imagine that they're, they're, they're them dry ages. They're not they're, uh, not using the salt blocks or the humidity they're, they're using. It's like a, a cold chiller. And they'll probably pour all the beef in and lock it down, and it'll be there four weeks, and then they'll come out.
0: Okay. And the other thing I know, A, when you hang a beef for three weeks, you lose, what, 10%, 15%, and then when you dry age it, you're probably going to lose another 10 or 15% in weight, I guess, I guess which is eating into your profit, isn't it? You've got to start adding the pound, the money on the other end to make up for that.
1: Yeah, it does it does lose quite
0: a lot through dry aging,
1: unfortunately. It's one of the uh the downsides to it. Uh, I I do weigh everything particularly before it goes in and I weigh it again when it comes out and it does lose quite quite a proportion. Especially at Christmas. We we hung some from first of September till till people picking up at Christmas and they lost I'd say they lost a the river beef because of the the length of time they're waiting mm-hmm.
0: for, that, and as you said, people do appreciate that, the yeah, the quality, and they will pay extra for it. But obviously, you've got to charge extra for that just to make up for the for the the weight loss that you've taken.
1: Yeah, you're right, totally right. Yeah, we do have to charge for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do I do price them up before I go in, before they go in, and then price them back out again. And I, do, I probably should charge a little bit more, uh, but I don't. I don't like to rip people off. I like to make sure that they've had a good meat and they've paid a fair price for it. Well, uh, and they'll come back and buy more
0: that's brilliant obviously that is what they're doing uh, lucky. and, and uh, what about marbling we mentioned marbling I've got a lot of USA listeners here and you know they pride themselves everything's all about the ribeye steak for them everything's marbled and the rest of it goes in the mincer pretty much I mean yeah, can you get the level of marbling that you need in, in your average beast and you're talking about limousins and what have you is there enough in there or you look like to see more uh, no I would like to more to be uh, fair
1: we have cousins in, in Texas and we, they send pictures over of their meat and a lot of it's brisket, brisket, slow roasted, uh, smoked, barbecued, and the, the size of the brisket. <laughs> and when people come over here and they go, Can I get a brisket like I get in America? I was like No. No. I'm <laughs> sorry. But the breed, uh, the breed of cows in, uh, I don't know all of America, but especially in Texas where we were, they are, um, they're breed for the shoulder meat. And not the leg meat, whereas we in UK tend to breed for the roasting joints rather than the shoulder meat.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting, certainly um, their their, um, their grading system is different to ours. And again, they are graded on on marbling and and such likes. And I know in one of your your things you mentioned Wagyu with like a little bit of disdain. There um, is that something you've got into, or do you, what, what's your views on on the Wagyu beef that seems to be gaining a bit of traction in the media?
1: I'm not convinced by it. Because uh, I've never actually tried it, so I'm not really going to comment too much on it. But I think real wagyu, the Japanese one, is it the A5 one? As as a sen- it would be absolutely sensational. The problem with with the, a lot of wagyu we've got about now is we're crossbreeding with angus, aren't we? We're doing a, a wagyu bull on an angus cow, or a, and it, it's taking that the the speciality away from it. I mean, the real wagons have got a strict diet and they have to massage three or four times a day and there's none of that going on in the UK side of it, is there?
0: Well, there are one or two people specialising in the wagyu, and and uh, I, I, I would not name them. There's one or two guys across the country, and they've got, they've got the ear of the restaurateurs and some of the top guys, and is promoting it that way. And uh, yeah, they can charge a hell of a money for it, as you know, for, for 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 wagyu beef. But it seems to be on the up in the restaurants. But whether whether as you said, the the pure the full wagyu isn't probably getting through to the consumer to cook at home. So maybe they you know, we're not really seeing enough of that.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I I, I believe the, the high end restaurants in London and one thing and another, they are getting the, the and, and, and your Mitchell's style restaurants, they are getting the the high end proper of stuff. Well, fortunately, there's, I mean, the neighbouring pub from us that's selling Wagyu beef, and I can't taste any difference from Wagyu beef and in, in our local pub to their beef burger that
0: they've got menu, you which can, is <laughs> actually. You can take- actually Taste the difference in your wallet, maybe. but to, and, and you've got a lot of regular customers obviously coming back, people coming fr- from round and about. And do you supply a few restaurants as well? Do you supply a, a, a few local pubs and restaurants round and about? No,
1: we've, uh, we took we never, ever went down the restaurants or pubs route. solely uh, because they wanted, most restaurants, I suppose, want the, the cuts to the meat that my customers want, uh, which I can sell. And they want them next to cheaper, but I can sell those, those steaks, sirloin lumps, the top side rotting joints that they want for the carvers, I can sell them joints all day long through shop okay. uh, for for more money than I can to a restaurant. So I've never actually bothered. And the problem with the UK now with, with the pub trade is the swap hands that that often. Yeah, you know, one one week you're supplying one person, you go in next week and that person's gone and they've got a new tenant in there who's refusing because it's not his bill and more else So we've just we've just kept clear of them, and we've we've done all right. We do one or two people do come from restaurants and pubs and they come over counter and buy it direct. And I'll do them a bit cheaper, but they're, uh, in a whole, on a general purpose, they don't generally entertain him.
0: Okay. Okay, fair enough. Let's clear that one up. And then let's go on to your internet presence, uh, Evie, Slack and Son. You guys out there want to, I'll put a link onto our website, but you want to go and watch this guy in action. He's absolutely hilarious and, and talented at the same time. And how he doesn't chop his hands off, I don't know. And uh, yeah. But you, it, it's called I Went to My Butcher, and you do sort of short reels, which I suppose I guess is suitable for Instagram and such like where you sort of show what you've got in the shop each day. and always looks delicious. And uh, I guess you've, with, with Facebook and Instagram, what sort of numbers of followers are you getting through that now, uh, Slacky.
1: Well, TikTok seems to be what's happening. We're up to about 150,000 followers and I think maybe about 15 or 16 million views. Okay. Uh, Facebook we're 15,000 followers and I, th- I think we're up to about 9 or 10 million likes. Well, so yeah, I don't. I mean, it's my sister that runs my social media side. I'm just the guy with the big chopper of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: God, my sister well, does all well, well, yeah, well,
1: the, uh, the editing and the the bits after hours that you don't generally see. Yeah, well, I know
0: all about that side of it myself, obviously, but uh, <laughs> we'll go on to, to some of the content of this in a minute. But your videos are very informative. I think you sort of do an informative one, maybe once or twice a week or something, or well, most of them are informative. And uh, as I said, the rest of those are just, uh, just sort of short reels and such like. And we've seen how the media has caused a frenzy in, 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 in amongst uh, we have had uh, Cammy Wilson on here for the Sheep Game who's, who's up with yourself lots and lots of followers and, and uh, there's the Hoof Doctor and um, Gareth Wynn Jones and, and those guys they're now gaining traction out with the farming community as well which is obviously your target. Clarkson I suppose is the classic one there, with uh, Clarkson's farmer sort of driven a frenzy of uninformed folks to the door of his farm shop just to go and get a look at it it's, are you finding that the media is doing that are you, is it, is the social media is that bringing People in is it, is it doing what doing its job?
1: Yes, we're a lot busier than what we used to be. Uh, I'm putting down social media. Uh, so I'm putting down the fact that we do sell honest, good meat products. We don't try and we tend to stay away from rubbish. So, but our, our social media has massively increased our trade through the shop. Um, but it, it all set out the social media for me was to educate because I'm, I'm gonna say that the younger generation from the age from the the generation from 20 to 40 year olds i believe that they're the mission generation i believe that their parents never taught them how to buy meat they went to the supermarkets and they they filled the barrels with local rub- with rubbish meat because it was easy and it was it was they were there while they were doing it so that what they so i had a, a people the younger generation that, that's now feeding the family that want a good meat they come to the bush and they don't actually know what they're asking for and it's through no fault of their own. It's because of, of lack of education from the older generation that's not past what, that, what they're supposed to be buying down. So the reason I went to social media really was to educate the lost generation and say, when you come to a butcher shop, you ask for, if you're feeding a family of four people, you would need 700 grams of meat, of mince, or 700 grams of stew steak, or four pork chops. And that's what you ask for. And it's amazing, but that just that, how many people now come to, sh- to shop and, and ask for what I've told them to ask for, <laughs> rather than saying, I usually get in a packet, uh, I don't know how much is in it, it's just in a packet. Yeah. I think had- so uh, that was my, my, um, the reason we went on social media and we went on TikTok to, to try and to attract the younger generation. And it weren't to try and encourage, increase our trade, it was more of an education purpose. And I think it's doing well, but after COVID, when we opened the butcher shop back up, there were, uh, a lady came in with a daughter who had done a university de- degree while sat home at um, COVID. And during that time, she'd been uh, brainwashed and she'd turned vegan. So I asked her why she'd turned vegan over the counter. And I said, this is between me and you. We're not going to get into a, a political debate. We're not going to get into a slouch shouting match. Just tell me your opinion on why you've turned vegan since COVID. And she, she said that she'd seen videos of... Uh, animals being brutally massacred. They were uh, they were strung down, but they were pulled out of a trailer with a rope round the neck, nearly strangled half dead and then they were shot four or five times because the lad who was shooting them weren't capable of shooting them. Uh, uh, and it went on, and that's that's just it's just wrong. It doesn't it doesn't happen in this country. I said we're, uh, we're as as British meat producers, British farmers, we should be proud of our what, what we what we're achieving here. We've got the highest welfare standards in any other country in the world. You know, this is this is what should be highlighted rather than the rubbish what you're watching on, on TikTok or whatever else. And then she said, and then I said to her, so how do you feed eight billion people in the world without, without meat? You must have an, an idea of how you're going to feed these these people. And do you know response? We should buy our meat from the supermarket. that's already packaged.
0: Misinformation, misinformation, isn't it? And some some of these people won't be informed. I'd like to think that you talk that woman around. She probably comes back in and buys a meat again. Maybe not, but there are one or two people, as you said, from misinformation. I don't eat meat because they don't understand. And and you are the you are the counter to that. You're you're the counter over the counter, really. To uh to to um and that, bring that information in, and it's a brilliant job doing that on social I media. How how did you get going? You just sort of did a video and put it out there, and and it it took off. Or I mean, how, you know, how does people go about doing it? Other other butchers now, should I say, listening to this, or people selling the meat at home or whatever? How do you get from from making a video? And I've asked this question to Cammy Wilson and, and making one video to to all of a sudden having you know, a million views on 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 social media. My
1: sister was listening in the background of the butcher's shop when the lady when she said it, yeah, and I said I turned around to our and I said. Because I was doing bits and pieces on Facebook before then, just selling, basically trying to sell meat, trying to sell a product, putting packs on one thing or another. And I said to my sister, we're going to have to do a video and showing people that the meat do not come in a packet. This is how it comes. Uh, so my sister says, we'll put it on TikTok because it's, it's the younger generation. And I said to her, so I'm really, really busy at the moment. I haven't really got have time to do TikTok videos. So I'll make a, I'll make a bet with you. I'll make you I'll, I will do a video for TikTok but it's got to get 150 views. If it doesn't get 150 views, I'm not doing you another video. Okay. So I did it. And uh, uh, the first video got 275,000 views within the first day. And I was like,
0: oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's what so I've been stuck with ever since.
1: But if I'm honest with you, when I, when I talked to it, and we, as we sort of got more and more, doing more and more things with it, I was panicking about having to face the vegans, vegetarians. People that didn't, didn't agree with my opinions in one thing and were thing over. And you know, to be to be perfectly honest with you, I'll give them credit. There's not I've not had a single person come to the butcher shop with anything negative to say about what we, what we're doing. And I, I thought I would be fighting these people on the front, but only people I'm fighting is the ministry, the food standards agencies, everybody else that that you would have thought would be supporting you and backing you, what you're doing, your campaign. They're the ones that's that's pushing us to one side and saying no, you can't do that. You shouldn't be doing this. So I put requests out for what people would like to see. And uh, people have put requests out for beast cheek. So I thought, right, we'll do a beast cheek. So I got a beast head and I removed the cheeks and the tongue. It's not online anymore. Uh, we posted online and overnight I had a million views overnight. And got up in the morning we got an email from Food Standards Agency that said that if I didn't remove the, the post, I would get a £10,000 fine.
0: I'm gobsmacked They Just explain why. Because it was- they wouldn't give an explanation.
1: They said I were in breach of so many regulations and one thing and another and people didn't want to see this. And I was like, well, openly, I, they are. They are. Gonna, the, the people do want to see this because we've got a million views. And if you look at every single comment, those people's commented. there's not a single bad comment. So people do want to see this. And, and at the point at the time, I was like, do I set a GoFundMe page up now mm-hmm. and ask the people to, to go me and pay the £10,000 fine and leave it up? but unfortunately my mum and my sister gave me beer you know, like, and I couldn't bother to battle. And so we took, we removed the post. Yeah. And that really I, it got me thinking afterwards that there's they, people that's supposed to be supporting the industry instead of hiding it behind closed doors are the ones that's doing the more damage wow. than what the actual vegans and vegetarians are.
0: Well, I suppose, that, yes, in some cases, the media, what have you, are a mouthpiece for some of these sort of vegans and vegetarians and such like. But to, to think that uh, you know, that's going that far up into the authorities is is quite scary, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. I, I'm quite gobsmacked with that. Yeah. It's uh, eye-opening to all of us, I suppose, and you, you, you're made to toe the line with, with what they think is is right and wrong, whether it is or it isn't. So that, that's, yeah. that's a bit of a scare, a bit of a scare. Let's just go on to the move away from that scary thought and go on to the to the videos that said you've got your big scary knife there, which is uh, about two foot long. Anybody seen this? you your massive chopper there, and that's kind of your your prop, I think, isn't it? I've never seen you use it, but you're always waving it about.
1: No, you do more damage if you hit somebody with it, to be fair. <laughs> It's, uh, it's it is a prop. Uh-huh. Uh, the kids, but I I I'm not put an edge on it because our, the customers that come that do watches on social media, they all want a picture with the big chopper. <laughs> uh, so I hand I hand it over to them and let them have a picture with it. And and if I if I put an edge on it, I can't hand it over. So so I text that. of so, uh,
0: fair
1: enough. Fair. The, the communication between me and the customers, you know, that personal battle. So they do come from a lot of they come from all over the place now. to so butcher a shot for a picture and buy a product to buy his product and they all, all want to leave with a picture of the chopper so <laughs> it is it is it is a real genuine knife mm-hmm. it's a victoria knox knife um it's from 19 i think it's the i did a bit of research and i think it's from 1980 mm-hmm. okay. and it came from doncaster abattoir when they shut it down well, well, when they shut Don, when okay. the doncaster abattoir uh, no they, when they shut the market when i shut doncaster market down we bought all the uh equipment uh-huh. uh, I'd only be a young boy at the time and when they were packing away and the guy that we were, were selling everything said, hey, young man, take that knife for you. Get it out of my way. Brilliant. And it's stuck <laughs> in a box ever since. We never even used it until I decided to start using it as a prop and now it's, more, more
0: famous than I am. <laughs> it's, it's equally famous in you. And they'd see you with 80, they'd be wondering who you were. And and uh, you said people come from all over. Again, I've seen videos. Somebody turned up. I'm from Bristol. I'm from somewhere other. And, and they they make that special journey. And I might do it myself. actually, make that special journey to to drop into the butcher's shop to buy products because you, your products look that damn good online. But also to, to see you in, and get a picture. And that's yeah, that's got to be brilliant. It is. But I'm, I'm quite
1: believe it or not, quite a shy person. So. <laughs> When they when they come with the, with the mates and they're outside, line, can we have a picture with you, mate? Can we have a picture with you? And I go, Ooh. Let's take <laughs> I don't know
0: a, where um, Must take a bit of your time up as well to do that. I mean, it, it, to, to obviously you're a busy man in the shop. I don't know how many you have working in the shop with you, but I mean, you're going to take, take you off all the time to go and go and do those and make yeah. the videos for that matter. It, they, they'd be time consuming. It is
1: quite, quite time consuming,
0: yeah. Uh, but I, I, I do I do try
1: and make the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we've got our. Uh, I seem to be. My nights and days seem to be taken up from from butchering, and we do a bit of farming outside, and then videoing on a night now, and then like, I coach kids rugby and cricket, so mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it's usually fun. Four
0: weeks, but it's time I finished with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm grateful you're coming on here today. And you did say that you coach rugby in the evening, which is uh, might have a chat about rugby if we get chance in a second. Just going to go on a couple of videos that I looked at. The one you did a, a porterhouse steak, and I've heard of a porterhouse steak, didn't know what it was. I loved that video. And basically, that's a T-bone with a fillet still in it. Just tell us a bit more about a porterhouse. Uh,
1: so, porterhouse steak is your first course. So, your T-bones, your porterhouse has the, the biggest part of the fillet steak in it. Uh, the biggest sirloin, and you generally cut it a lot thicker, uh, so it's like a sharing joint rather than a single joint. And then after, you usually get two t two porterhouses on a on a beast. And then after that, you uh, you come down to where the where your fillet steak's thinning out a little bit, uh, and that's where you get your T-bone steaks from.
0: So a T-bone still has the fillet in it, some of the fillet in it, but the, the porterhouse is a, a bigger T-bone with more fillet in it, basically.
1: Yes, it's uh, that's pretty much it. It's, it's your first cut, so as as your fillet steak goes up towards the hind quarter. It gets thicker and it gets to his best bit where you're making your beef Wellington. Where you can take it out, away. Oh, so a lot of some butchers will skim the the fillet out and not sell to long steaks, and they'll just sell the fillet steak. Uh, so at the end of it, that's where you get your like your beef Wellingtons from and your your Chateau and that your your big thick piece of fillet. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Or you can yeah. leave it in and have it as a four half steak. Okay, and and uh, you talk about the T-Bone, obviously meat on the bone, which is something that wasn't allowed a while ago. Do you get a lot of demand for a T-Bone? Tomahawk steak did to be the thing. Just lately, I suppose a Tomahawk is, is a trimmed-down T-Bone of some description, but that seems to be the buzz food at the moment.
1: Yeah, a lot of people ask you that. <laughs> yeah, low-end of people going, can I have a Tomahawk steak? And they go, yeah, what do you think about a Tomahawk steak? Well, you just paying for bone, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, well, what do you mean? As well... And Summerall's steak is just a ribeye steak on the bone. Okay. Uh, it's a bit of a... Some quite fashionable and trendy, I think, feel like Miller and Carter and that, and them sort of places, they're selling them. They've got a niche on them, so they're, they're having them there, and then they're coming to Butcher's Ryan. I'm like, I'll cut you as many as you want, but... You are basically paying for a ribeye steak on the bone. It'd be cheaper if you just had a ribeye steak. Ah,
0: Okay. There we go. (laughs) There we go. That's information to a lot of people out there. Certainly. I mean, (laughs) and we got a lot of people who not aren't farmers or some producers or maybe don't quite understand that. So that's good information. Another one I want to ask you is about a flat iron steak. That's another fashionable thing that everybody has now. Where does the flat iron come from?
1: Uh, So it's the shoulder. It's uh, the behind the blade of the, uh, the. the shoulder blade, there's a, a, a muscle that's got a massive piece of gristle going through it. Uh, and you've got to, uh, yeah, yeah, it comes out quite a thick piece and then you you remove the gristle. And once you remove the gristle, you end up with two decent sized steaks, probably about 15, 20 ounce
0: each. Pretty lean if they're in the shoulder, I guess, but it is in demand. I mean, you see it on menus. We get something called a bavette in France, which I think is probably a similar cut. And it is quite in demand and it's fairly chewy as a rule.
1: Yeah, the the bear vet is it's the hanger steak, isn't it? it, it the bear vet is what comes from the, uh, in a polite way, it's what holds the uh, fillet steak to the uh, pigs in, to the cow's intestine. Okay. It's the muscle. It's the muscle that holds that the binds them both together. Now, I have tried to show them this. The problem is to to show where the hanger steaks come from and the, the vet steaks. It's I've got to go in the slaughterhouse. So then I've got to get around the rules and regulations of the ministry that don't want me in there to show them where that state comes from so i would have to gut the animal to show them where it comes from So There's one for the future. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get around that.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's cleared up for me because I thought about a bavette and a time were the same, and t- they're totally different, and I'm totally wrong. So uh, thanks for clearing that one up, Slacky. That's why. That's why you're the butcher. I'm the guy. On the, I'm the guy doing the talking on this end. And and just go on to sheep a little bit. There. You. You. Obviously, you said you kill a lot of lambs. I think you said you got mainly Suffolk ewes with a, a Texel top. And and uh, do you, can you provide enough lambs for yourself, or are you buying you buying those locally as well? <laughs>
1: Yeah, we, we buy a lot of lambs in as well. Uh, we'll, we'll with our lambs that we have, we'll we'll probably buy another 15 or 20 a week on top okay. from market.
0: Okay. And uh, But
1: we do sexual ones, the Suffolk ones, the ones that have got the big bums, long loins, not so thick in shoulders because shoulders of lambs not as popular in, as what it is in beef, like briskets and that. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and and obviously the Beltex is a word that I I would use. My father was in Beltex. I bred Texels myself, and over the years, and and uh, uh, the Beltex will claim they've got a bigger jigget and a bit more on there. But I suppose you're paying a bit more for for those, or, or do you see much of them? Uh,
1: I, had, I to be fair, I, I've had Beltex tucks before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've struggled to, to get my lambs over the, the finishing line. So once they got to our like thirty eight kilos, I could never get any more weight on. It. I tried and tried again, and they would not. I just could not get them out above 38 kilos. Okay. Know. So they always killed that a little bit too small for what we wanted in our shop.
0: Okay, and that's and it was, I was pushing the Texel. Okay, and the Texel, yeah, being you said being a bit stronger enough, Suffolk being a bit stronger again, and you yes. don't get into Welsh lamb or Scotch lamb or Swaledales and sort of stuff off the hill. More specialists, maybe they, again, they wouldn't be big enough for you, maybe.
1: Oh, I don't so I remember when my, my wife lost some Edwicks.
0: <laughs> get some You're get some bloody good fences Lucky, that's all I tell you get some good fences if you want some of them
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I say they, l- they lick rocks don't they to keep fit them things <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I've got a few. Uh, I've got a few Rylans, and uh, they're the other way round. There, they get fat on nothing, and uh, and and plenty of fat on them as well. But, um, just go on. Other thing, I, I, I'm I'm asking the questions here because these are things that I I'm I'm wanting to know really, and that's kind of the reasons I got you on because it's my show. And uh, mutton is the other thing. Tell me a bit more about mutton because there's a demand for mutton. I've got a demand for mutton here. I kill my own sheep here, and I got a demand for mutton here. Everybody wants a mutton to go in a curry now. What what, what is the definitive of mutton, and and, and where do you, where do you draw a, a line under that one?
1: Well, it's face flavour, isn't it? There's more flavour in mutton than there in in lambs in there. I mean, sheep originally were bred for the wool, but not the meat one. Uh, and when the when the British wool industry collapsed, uh, they had to find a way to push the uh, find the product. So they, they went to spring lamb, didn't they? Yeah, okay. they give it a uh, they give it a bit of publicity now. Everyone wants spring lamb, but realistically. Mutton. If you're wanting flavour in the, in 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 your pan, then mutton is where you need to be going. You just need to turn your temperatures down. You don't cook as fast. You cook, cook low and slow, don't you? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And and is uh, is and there a line? Isn't I was told mutton is supposed to be isn't mutton until it's three years old? I mean, it, you know, obviously you sell Hoggett, and the difference between Hoggett and mutton is is a blurred line, is it?
1: No, I mean hoggets before mutton, isn't it? Your hoggets are your first your like sheenings, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when they, when they've, they've done the first year of lamb, then they become Hoggett, don't they? And then they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're supposed to into mutton after that. Uh, I, I, there's definitely now there's a big difference between mutton and hobby. But like I say, it's a stronger meat. Uh, it needs to like I say, you've got you've got to learn to cook slower and lower. Uh, give it give it time for them flavours to break down and, and mix in a pan. But the end product is far better than the product of the lambs. I'm, I, I always think the lamb always misses it. it, it no matter what breed lamb it is, I always feel sometimes it's, it's missing that that time, that length. You know, the the time that they get from mutton eating grass all its life. I think lambs just tend to miss that, and that, and I think that that's the flavour that they miss.
0: So you're saying mutton pretty much is is a use trade, I suppose. Onwards, is it? And you buy a few of those? Do you get a demand for it?
1: No, we don't. Uh, I I have a, we have, have, a, have a few of them. We'll probably do about twenty a year, yeah. uh, cull use of them. We pull most of shop, we do sell them, but we struggle to sell them. Yeah, okay. We struggle to sell them, and I think people's frightened of it. It's not a, uh, it comes out a lot fattier than normal lamb, so when you see it next to oh, sure. new season lamb, or you see it like the hoggies, and then you see this big piece of fat meat here, like uh
0: I go for I go for lamb. <laughs> go to cook it low and slow as you said and low and slow isn't it? is now one of your your um yeah. one of the your bu- your up. buzzwords there and the other thing that you mentioned I, I saw you with a with a pig I think you, it was a, one when you said this is where the sausages come from which again I found interesting and uh, um, you said it was a duroc pork so is that is that is that a, a pig that's on the up is that uh, tell me a bit more about a duroc
1: Yeah I think uh, a lot of pig producers have gone to the duroc instead of the large white uh it create I think it's... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not massively... I don't know massive about pigs for the first year because uh, we have always bought pigs from our, our neighbour. Uh, but he's gone for draw rock, uh, From He's come from large white to draw rock. For, uh, the strength of the pigs is they're a better pig. They finish better. Uh, they're a drier pig. And it's, he's right. There's not when near as much water comes out of the... Um, or fluid comes out of the uh, uh, draw rock. Pig in the, of the large white pig will be killing it. And even when you're hanging it, we don't, we don't tend to hand hang pigs. We're two or three days and we're straight after them we're chopping chops we're breaking down sausages and burgers and things like that. But the water in the trays when you broke the loins down, there's no water in the pigs now compared to what they were five years ago. So... Okay. It's probably about that right then for us. It's just working really well. Wheels.
0: That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it isn't just meat, as you said. Start with a whole variety of products. Some old-fashioned stuff like potted meat and faggots and curried pinwheels. I saw you do the other day, and you obviously eat poultry and game and various things. It's about having that that variation. It must take a lot of imagination to uh, to keep filling the counter every day.
1: <laughs> I'm sure I'm it was difficult because I've, I know, believe
0: it or not, our counter's not
1: overly big. It's only 3.4 meters long, so it's not it's not there, it's But we Mid- middle of May I'm having a, uh, a new camp fitted but i having a 6.4 metre so it's going to be twice as big <laughs> so, okay. and we have, I have to start thinking even more to put in there mm-hmm.
0: but you, I said yeah, poultry and game do you get a supply of game and venison and that sort of thing again or do you stick with it I, I do shoot to myself I do
1: enjoy shooting so I tend to get the game myself only when it's in season mm. um, we only sell game when it's in season I don't sell game out of season uh, and poultry we buy from our, again our local, the nearest guy that sells poultry to us, which is from Halifax, I believe, is it?
0: Okay, but you you get, um, I see you obviously with pies and that, but you get some of the the, the, the different um, uh, mixes that you go you go with a whole a range of kind. I mean that's that's almost a chef really that you're making those dinners. You're actually made almost like a ready-made dinner. I know in, in Scotland we get. Um, uh, uh, beef olives and all these various things i mean they, you've done most of the work for that these things just go straight in the oven for these people so you, you you're taking a lot of the you cook yourself i always
1: take them from from what i what from what our life's like so when i come home from work at, at probably quarter past, half, past five i need to be out of the house for rugby quarter to six so we've got a half an hour window where i've got to try and get some goodness into my kids we are buying a rubbish takeaway so i always think that when i'm if everyone else is in the same position I'm in, because there's that many people that come through a shop that's got various clubs and exercises and things, that everyone's so busy these days, they don't have the time to, to cook properly. So I produce these these little um, things that only take half an hour to cook for that reason. So with NNI, you can get in a night, you can get yourself a good hearty meal and then you can go out again. And it's not going to take you three or four hours to prep it. You're half an hour. Kids have had, you're out, they're playing rugby, cricket, dancing, whatever they're doing, knowing that they've had a good meal inside and we're not going to have to walk to the McDonald's or buy a takeaway at home. That's they've had a good tea already. That's
0: absolutely brilliant, and that is right, isn't it? So many people rely on these ready-made meals, and their excuses: I don't have enough time to cook my dinner at night, so I want to get home and cook something that'll that that I can put together in half an hour. I and mean, so they're coming to the counter and they're buying that for for similar price to the packaged stuff. I'm sure, and they're getting three times as good a dinner, but it's already tasty, and and it isn't just meat. They haven't got to make sauces. You put on the sauces and everything all with it.
1: Yeah, we do it with the complete mixes. Yeah, so literally, is it, and everyone's using
0: these new uh, air fryers, aren't they? The, the, the ninjas
1: air fryers. I don't know what shelf to maybe on them. I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm quite a big cook myself, and uh, I don't, I don't own an air fryer. Cook, we cook everything fresh, and we get lambs in the field and, and go straight in. I don't possess one either, but uh, hey, they're this year's gadget, and, and and if they cook food quickly and, and people think they're healthy, then uh, let them get on with it. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm saying. So, uh, like I said, they are this year's products. And a lot of people are cooking so we're doing things like crispy chicken and chicken kiev and things like that That only take 25 minutes in a ninja. Again, people come in and buying them into ninja getting their stuff teas on table kids 10 minutes whoop it down then you go into football, rugby, cricket swimming, whatever you're going to do. You've had your tea I'm satisfied I'm comfortable that kids have had a good a good meal and I'm good, satisfied that I'm going to play rugby get the energy up and they're fine and they'll come home and get a bath and they don't need to eat Rubbish out of the
0: drawer. Excellent, excellent. And and you're obviously you're educating other people based on your own experiences, which is like how life should be, really, isn't it? So if you're you're creating these dishes, or, or somebody somewhere is creating these dishes out of various things, and and then your guys coming in the shop and you're sort of giving them what, what what you feed yourself, and I think that's probably that's where people buy honesty, isn't it? That's the stuff you eat yourself. Yeah it is.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's what reflects on our counter. So uh, during start of the weeks, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, we do. Quick meals because people that come in those days are they're not buying for the weekend. They're buying for there and then for a quick, quick, fix, quick fix. Um, and then when it gets Friday, we'll reach Doctor Cantwell with all your joints and your steaks and everything else that people's having on a weekend. And you basically just change your car for a week? like you do. You change your seasons, you know. People in summer they want. Barbecue food and it went to the one mince stew, slow cooking stuff. So we just we just basically go along with the season, and the times that what people are having. Sure,
0: brilliant, brilliant. And do you do you smoke it or do you smoke stuff? that's not the rude word. If you do, you, do you get stuff? You got a smoker and do that as well. Do you sell smoked products?
1: No, I haven't got a smoker. No. Um, okay. I do keep looking at them, but I'm. <laughs> I'm just
0: trying to find time. I suppose to get what didn't get what. I, I, I'm as I said. I keep just a dozen lambs. That's all in the field, and we I butcher myself, and we supply a few locals or what have you, And I was looking at doing some smoked lamb this year. I tell you what I am asking, I, I will ask you, and you probably won't know the answer to this one, is that uh, King Charles has said for the coronation, which is only a few weeks away now, um, uh, is going to do coronation lamb. So, what the hell goes in a coronation lamb? Have you got, a, got any recipes lined up there that I can crib off? you? I've got to feed twenty five people for coronation lamb. <laughs>
1: Corey, get in. <laughs> Yeah, they get slow cooker. <laughs> coronation chicken.
0: <laughs> Coron- coronation lambs. You just think, get some lamb, throw some curry powder and bang it in the slow cooker. All right, well, I'll... Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, coronation lamb. That's what they're all going to be doing. I think my mum's doing coronation lamb for uh, in tea rooms. Like, mum's doing the menu next door for our coffee shop. Okay. And she's doing... I she's got coronation lamb on there, so... Excellent.
0: And I was going to <laughs> go on to your okay. tea room there. How, how did the tea room start? Is that just a, You said a, a sideline, another part of the business, but is it a restaurant tea room or is it just teas...
1: It, it's they do full menu. Uh tea, we don't we don't sell alcohol in there. I know I keep saying we should but they don't. Probably they can probably try and not drink it all but uh, um they're uh they do a full menu. Breakfast is uh, very popular and I think it's I actually think it's number one on TripAdvisor, as okay. Uh Tweed at Warden.
0: Tweed at Warden. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a joint to the butcher shop. Okay. Um, so it's my mum my mum works in education for 30 years she decided that she'd had enough of it it was too stressful and too hard too or whatever so she decided to pack in she didn't really know what we were going to do we had, a, we had a spare space inside of it so we said we'll build your tea rooms Okay. crack on
0: excellent so that's what we did excellent excellent. sounds like that's going as well there and, uh, and so um, brilliant what you do do you, do you get out to the the fat stock shows and buy the Christmas winners pin the cards up in the window it's something all local butchers always used to do keep the prices up
1: uh we do go to the christmas factor stock shows you uh i don't really generally spend by all the winners <laughs> okay. I, I just uh <laughs> there comes a lot of money and i just think find other bits of spending money on like new minces and things that we're gonna
0: true yorkshireman i, I know there is some i know the one butcher near me in, in scotland there he bought the the top prize pen alarms in in aberdeen christmas Fat Stock or wherever it was and I'm pretty sure he was sell, selling that same lamb for about <laughs> about six weeks on that back of that prize card so the, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> obviously do make a way of going it and, and uh, are you an award-winning butcher if you guys get put in for awards and things because you certainly should be getting an award for doing it for what you're doing I think and our listeners will think as well for what you're doing to promote British farming is is that something you got on the door uh
1: we don't really enter in it i mean I would say that uh, our awards are our customers that come back yeah. daily, yeah. you know, the same faces coming back through a door and buying me that, that's all we need. We should be able to probably enter some, some stuff, but our, our main job is now butchering, but with other, other jobs as well, so we have the slaughterhouse and the farm and the coffee shop, and it all takes time, and yeah. we've never actually got to, to enter in these competitions. Okay. We should, with
0: you. Well you sure you certainly should from your 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 entertainment side of it, I think you're you're as much as a comedian as you are a butcher we don't I see you on the videos and again I tell people to go in, on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram wherever it is and look up uh, E V Slack uh, um, my trip to the butchers and uh, and have a and have a look at Slacky there with it with his big knife and or his big chopper as he says. And you and you've even got some merchandise now, I think, is that right? Uh yes.
1: The hats, G lays. Uh, hoodies, uh, beanie hats, People come and buy them, and the, what I, I, my sister said, my sister organised all that side of it. And she, she said, when people come to collect them, you're gonna, you have to stand and eye to hand them over to them. Yeah, I got really embarrassed about I get really
0: embarrassed about it, I really embarrassed about it. <laughs> yeah I know. Uh, I know uh, again Cammy Wilson got into that side of it and he's found that a, good, a very lucrative arm to his business I think there with the with the merchandise side of it and it's it's every way to make it's not just about making a shilling on those it's about advertising yourself isn't it and uh, you know that's, that's yeah, all, did, all yeah. part of the marketing deal isn't it yeah it is, yeah well, really appreciate you talking to, to us, uh, uh, slacky congratulations as I said on on what you're doing for British produce and British farming and zero food miles and 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 all the rest of it. I definitely salute you for for that and uh, and as uh, as you normally sign off with uh, what do we say? Uh,
1: jobs are fish. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jobs are fish. that's the one Well, slacky, great Great to speak to you, mate. And, and when I'm up in that neck of the woods sir, I'll drop in there and and I want to see I want to see you as well and uh, you can advise me what to do get for my tea.
1: Yes, of course
0: great mate all the best Any- thanks now alright thank you very much cheers thank now you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. And uh, at this time, with the current positive trends in livestock prices and recent drop in feed prices as well, there's never been a better time to creep feed those lambs and calves. Uh, and get in touch with Harbro to find out they can, how they can help you and what's the best option for your own system. Uh, find Harbro on the internet or on social media and, or contact your local representative. And uh, while you are on social media, don't forget to have a look at our Facebook page where you'll find uh, photographs and more information to back up this and other podcasts.